Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And this week we are talking about wives in the sense of divorcees and life after marriage. And this episode we're going to focus in on a more maligned character, often a second or third or even fourth wife, called the trophy wife. Yeah, there's definitely not many good stereotypes or images surrounding this trophy wife figure. We usually think of her as a blonde bimbo. She's probably had all sorts of plastic surgery to alter or enhance her appearance. She's probably not very smart. She might not have gone to college. She really just probably walked out of... Whatever club she was working at to get herself a rich husband. Yeah, and he's probably super old, possibly on the brink of death, and we assume that she's just in it for the money. And this has been a really fascinating character to unpack and someone who we've been talking about a lot lately. Uh, there was actually a now canceled show on ABC called Trophy Wife and even though it was a pretty delightful show created by Sarah Haskins, um, who, if any of you have seen current TV's Target Women, she was the hilarious host of that. And a lot of TV critics said, hey, it's a decent show, but it was probably canceled because people didn't want to watch a show called Trophy Wife. Yeah, because you assume it's going to be a show like, oh, great. Well, I've got to watch for a half an hour some blonde woman like take over a man's life and take all of his money. But, you know, it was really more about the family dynamic. It was so much less about the old, tired trope of the trophy wife and so much more about women kind of getting on in the world with their kind of new family. Yeah, um, but of course we do see lots of those trophy wife stereotypes perpetuated, especially on reality television, on shows like Millionaire Matchmaker, The Real Housewives franchise, and also Basketball Wives. So... We want to know, though, off TV, to what extent do these women exist? Where did the stereotype come from? And more recently, a question that's been popping up. Do trophy husbands exist? <laughs> well, stereotypically in our culture, before you can have a trophy wife, you have to have the gold digging girlfriend or mistress who comes along. Uh, and this woman supposedly has the goal of becoming a trophy wife eventually. So she's secure in her retirement plan, uh, you know, otherwise known as her husband's money. But stereotypically in our culture, before you can get to the trophy wife, you have to have the gold digging girlfriend or mistress whose goal it is to get all of this man's money and his wealth and live in the lap of luxury for the rest of her life. And so where does the gold digger stereotype come from and what role does race and socioeconomics play in it? Yeah. So if first comes love, then comes marriage. First comes gold digging, then comes trophy wifing. And I mean, this very concept, though, of women marrying rich, marrying up, however you want to phrase it, isn't new because we need to keep in mind that the institution of marriage was founded as an economic arrangement. Women, very figuratively speaking, have been marrying for money since the get-go. But this whole gold digger stereotype is especially pernicious 
even more so, I think, than the trophy wife. Um, but in real life, it's hard to pin down how many gold digging women there really are. How, how real the protagonist in Kanye's gold digger hit is. Um, in 2014, for instance, Heidi Stevens with a Chicago Tribune interviewed a Chicago-based matchmaker, Bella Gandhi, who claimed that very few women come to her directly seeking out rich men, which is kind of the opposite of what you see with Patty Stanger on Bravo with Millionaire Matchmaker, where I mean, lines of women are out the door auditioning for a chance to possibly go on a date with a guy who has millions. Millions and millions. And millions. Yeah, didn't this matchmaker also say that these women are looking for really tall men? Yeah. Like height was a big Yeah. Was a big thing. But you know, that we we see this stereotype applying to women. It's not like we see though rich men going to matchmakers saying, I want an incredibly wealthy woman to carry me through the rest of my days. We we don't have the the, the sugar mama. Yeah. A matchmaker happening. Um, now, of course, though, speaking of matchmaking, there are sites like SeekingArrangements.com, which claims to have over 3.6 million members, Caroline, that is specifically geared toward wealthy men and women seeking wealthy men. And it's all framed in sugar daddy kinds of language. It's mostly sugar daddies and women seeking sugar daddies. And according to a Vanity Fair piece about seeking arrangements in which the author went on and went on a bunch of dates with really rich guys and concluded that, well, I guess this isn't for me so much. Uh, sugar mamas only make up about 1% of this population. And it's interesting to read about the pursuit of wealthy men in different cultures, too. We read an excerpt of Peter Pomerantsev's new book, Nothing is True and Everything is Possible, The Surreal Heart of the New Russia, that basically details the millionaire-baiting academies that some young Russian women will pay to attend to learn the fine art of gold digging. And, oh, my God, that was fascinating. Just learning about... The the cultural nuances of what women expect of themselves and of men and vice versa. They're, one of the academy's teachers even tells Peter, uh, you know, this is look at what feminism's done. Feminism is all wrong. Feminism has for some reason been filling our heads with the idea that women need to work 24-7 in an office or a factory. And that's ridiculous. Working hard is a man's job. It's a woman's job to look pretty and be at home. So it's that's that's a more ingrained cultural broad idea that a woman should just be living off of some wealthy fat cat's money. But it takes a lot of work. According to that article, I mean, these women were I mean, they're going to academies in yeah. quotes. They're having to pay a lot of attention to their to their physical appearance. I mean, it, it takes it takes work to to try to bait a rich husband as well. But here's the thing. This is where the gold digger thing. I mean, the gold digger stereotype is ugly to begin with Mm -hmm. um, because it assumes that women want nothing more than men for their money and their status and their power. But when it comes to our pop cultural depictions and stereotypes of gold digger, like the Kanye West song Gold Digger, there is very much a racial aspect 
to this because black women are plagued by this stereotype. Uh, there was a 2013 survey conducted by Essence magazine among black women, which found that 87 percent of those women ID'd gold digger as one of the most common media stereotypes they see firsthand of black women. Yeah, one of the Real Housewives of Atlanta, Portia Stewart, was cited as being very proud of her brief stint as a trophy wife. Uh, she ended up getting handed her divorce papers, so she's no longer a trophy wife. She's a trophy divorcee. Trophy divorcee, well, and Portia Stewart, being proud of her trophy wife status, is sort of a standout example, because as Sharing Bell writes over at Madame Noir, yes, we are constantly cast as gold diggers, but rarely seen as a trophy wife, because that's the difference between a gold digger and a trophy wife. A gold digger inherently is someone independent who's like out on their own trying to, you know, use their feminine wiles to ensnare a rich man. Mm -hmm. But trophy wife is at least seen as some kind of prize. Yeah, she's almost socially safer. Well, she's safer to society at large because she's within a marriage. The gold digger is almost like she's a shark in the water. Yeah, well, the implication is that while the gold digger is out seeking herself a husband to ensnare, the trophy wife is the one being sought after. And Sharing Ball writes at Madame Noir about how being a trophy wife is, quote, a white woman's only club. And she goes on to talk about even when it comes to Really successful, wealthy black men, they often marry women who are not black. She says, sure, some marry for love. However, there are some men who marry for status. And she says, by obtaining a white trophy partner, these men can feel themselves closer to endowing a status, which would enable him to acquire all the privileges that come with whiteness in American society. Yeah, she cites people like Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods and Kanye West, that once they hit the big time, rarely do you see a woman who looks like them, so to speak, on their arm. They tend to have, whether she's white or just lighter skinned, a woman... Go, going with them to events, going with them to parties. Um, one thing that really struck me as weird, though, about her trophy wife column is that she, uh, Sharing Ball frames all of this as very unfortunate. Not that one has to be a trophy wife or a gold digger, but that black women are relegated to gold diggers and don't get the opportunity to be trophy wives, which she frames as sort of a viable way to get by. She says that, hey, we're using our economic capital, our version of economic capital, to if we are going to be a trophy wife, um, we're getting something for our femininity or our beauty. But, she, you know, when she says that it's a white woman's only game, she does frame that as an unfortunate thing. Yeah, and... On the one hand, I am hesitant to agree that, like, yes, equal opportunity trophy wifedom for all. (laughs) But I think she is absolutely right in her observation that of how this reflects, perhaps, what she calls Eurocentric standards of beauty. And this very much relates to the podcast we did a while back on the exoticizing of women of color Mm -hmm. and this issue within the black community too of of black women talking about how uh, like even just the different shades of their skin has a status as well that women with 
darker skin are often seen as just kind of regular, whereas lighter skinned women are seen as, oh, they're exotic. They're the prizes. Yeah, but if we're still speaking about issues of race and class, on the other end of the spectrum, you have Asian women who there was a trend piece in Marie Claire in 2009 talking about Asian women being the new consummate trophy wife. Yeah, the, here's the thing. This article was kind of awful, yeah. I will say, in its tone. Um, but it was written by Shanghai-born Ying Chu, who is trying to put together the puzzle pieces of why she has seen so many Asian trophy wives, essentially. So her examples that she offers include Woody Allen and Sunyi Previn, which to me, we're not even in trophy wife territory at that point. That's a whole nother ball of wax to talk about. Um, but then also Rupert Murdoch and Wendy Dang, Bruce Wasserstein and Angela Chow, George Soros and Jennifer Chun and on and on and on. And so she's wondering why would these smart, accomplished Asian women want to marry these guys because in a lot of these cases, these women are successful in their own right and they have economic power in their own right. And the conclusions that Chu draws are made me a little uncomfortable, to be completely honest, but maybe that's just like me wallowing in my whiteness. Yeah, she basically says that these older, uh, more portly Rich gentlemen make amazing renegade suitors because they're an attempt at rebellion on the part of these otherwise very accomplished uh, and amazing Asian women and that these women are looking for a father figure. Yikes. Which just makes me want to sing that song, but I won't. (laughs) Yeah. So and I was asking Caroline before we record this podcast, whether this kind of quote unquote trend piece would even fly Today, because it, 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 I mean, it, it certainly pointed out, though, importantly, the fetishization yeah. of Asian women as being perhaps the perfect trophy wife because they're fetishized as being very docile and submissive and also very exotic in their beauty. And there was also sort of a point in there that echoed Sharing Ball's column in terms of saying, we're just trading on our economic capital. You know, if you want someone who appears like she might be submissive, Fine. And and who's younger? Fine. But I also have, you know, a great education. Maybe I'm an MBA. I make a lot of money. Maybe I have my own company. And that's what's so interesting and what we'll get into in this episode about the evolution of where the trophy wife came from, where we get these stereotypes and how our image of the trophy wife has really evolved. And even at this point, I think it's pretty clear that this stereotype isn't so simple as it might seem on the outside, because there is a lot packed into that trophy in terms of what we do deem worthy. And then on the flip side, too, with the whole the gold digger opposite side of that coin, mm-hmm. where, coin where she is nothing but seen as rather worthless. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to this term trophy wife, where did it come from? So over at the Wall Street Journal, language columnist Ben Zimmer cites... Felicity Rosentor's The Single Woman, published in 1961, which defines the trophy wife as, quote, the woman who was hard to get because of birth or wealth or beauty to be kept on exhibition like a mammoth tusk or prime Picasso. But it seems like 
the the term trophy wife really entered our lexicon in 1989. Yeah, in 1989, Julie Connolly uses the term trophy wife in a Fortune magazine cover story headlined, The CEO's Second Wife. But in her use of the term, these women aren't exactly bimbos. They are ambitious and accomplished, just like their husbands are. Yeah, she writes in that 1989 column, powerful men are beginning to demand trophy wives. But she goes on to say that the trophy wife, quote, doesn't hang on the wall like a moose head because she typically has her own business, though not so large as to overshadow her husband. And she talks about how these trophy wives serve the purpose of, quote, dispelling the notion that men peak sexually at age 18. So they're very much a status symbol, but really importantly, they have success in their own right. So they're beautiful and they're successful. They're the whole package. And the cover model for the article was Caroline Roan, who was a dress designer with a $10 million business who married an even richer financier, Henry Kravis. And now, of course, this couple has since divorced. But she was the, you know, the, the, the model trophy wife. Yeah, but okay, so we've mentioned money. She's got money and she's got beauty. But what about the brains? She's got brains too. I mean, if you're going to build a $10 million business, you've got to, yeah, this is not someone who is our cultural stereotype of just the, the blonde big boob bimbo. Not that there's anything wrong with having big boobs or being blonde. It's just that. The trophy wife, when we start to unpack her, there's a lot more to her. Yeah. And so there have been a lot of trend pieces in the past couple years about this so-called new trophy wife, even though she's really the original trophy wife, as mm-hmm. we just described from that 1989 article. And the, the wedding that really kicked a lot of this off, too, was George Clooney marrying Oxford-educated human rights lawyer Amal Alamudin. And we'll talk more about that relationship later, because not only have people called her an incredible trophy wife for him, people have also said, well, look at what she's done. He's the trophy husband for her. Yeah, because he's he's a glamorous actor. Yeah. A Hollywood actor. So Kristen Huffton over at Huffington Post writes that the woman who got ahead on her looks by marrying a sugar daddy is now being replaced by the woman who is equal to her man in earning power and career position. And that is sexy. And so it's almost like we're moving past the whole trophy wife thing or the trophy husband thing and into the power couple, the the ideal of the power couple, two people who are both beautiful, successful, wealthy and smart. Yeah. And side note, though, why is it such a revelation that a woman can be beautiful and smart at the same time? What? Mm, kind of odd. Um, so the New York Post, though, a laudable publication, as mm. always, uh, trotted out a series of New Trophy Wives, I believe it was in 2014, that included George Soros, who's in his 80s, married to Tamiko Bolton, who's in her 40s. Also, Harvey Weinstein, who is 24 years older than his gorgeous wife and designer, Georgina Chapman. And then also former financier, Suzanne Ursha, who is 20 years younger than billionaire, Woody Johnson. So in all of these cases, 
these women are successful. They have their own careers. They're very, you know, they, they have their own money. They don't necessarily need to marry a richer guy. And they're also super hot. And so the reporter for the New York Post writes, designer labels, bespoke beauty treatments, and extravagant holidays are still part of the package. But so are advanced degrees and business startups. So, yeah. OK, so now we're celebrating, you know, beautiful, successful, wealthy people. Good job, women. You've gotten a degree and you're hot still. And you're hot. And it's super important. Uh, but Gretchen Sisson over at Bitch is like, wait, wait a second. Wait. She writes, when a rich man marries a woman with her own slew of degrees and accomplishments and perhaps even her own wealth, He's not marrying a trophy. He's marrying a peer. When you label somebody a trophy wife, that turns even the most ambitious and accomplished of American women into objects merely by virtue of becoming a wife. And so even though you had Julie Connolly in 1989 in Fortune magazine saying, no, she's she's not a moose head on the wall. Uh, Gretchen Sisson is saying, no, you guys, the way that you're talking about these women is very much so that they are still moose heads on the wall. Yeah. But if we move away, though. From trend pieces and think pieces, Caroline, and look at sociological data. Ooh, more pieces. Data pieces. (laughs) Data pieces. Our favorite kinds of pieces. (laughs) Do these kinds of heteronormative beauty status exchanges really exist? We're going to answer that question when we come right back from a quick break. Well, in the first half of the podcast, we we painted we painted a few very interesting portraits for you that involved moose heads. Uh, it involved wealthy women, both those with higher education and those without, those running the world with their high powered businesses and those not. Um, and you know the older gentlemen that they were marrying. Um, but as Kristen and I hinted at, let's let's get into some of the data pieces about what's really going on there socially and culturally. Yeah. Are there so many women who are trading in their beauty in exchange for economic status? Well, some research suggests. Yeah, totally. A 2007 study in the journal Human Nature on engagement ring costs and men and women's income found that men marrying younger women spent more on rings. And they also highlighted a negative correlation between a bride's age and the amount spent on a ring, to which I say maybe older brides just don't care as much about having a giant rock. Um, But the researchers also found ring price correlated with income, which makes sense. So, I mean, yeah, so there's... It's mixed. Yeah. Well, the title of the study did tie in the whole issue of mate quality. And so age and income are being tied into the size of the engagement ring, the quality of the mate. It's almost like they're insinuating that the quality of the mate is rewarded by a bigger ring. Yeah. Look at your beautiful face. Here's a diamond. (laughs) Well, even more pertinent to our purposes with this whole trophy wife thing A 2013 study in the journal Letters on Evolutionary Behavioral Science looked at men from the richest 400, from the Forbes 400 list, and found 
Yeah, there seems to be a little bit of a possible trophy wife effect. And Caroline, can you please share the title of this study? Because it's it's a good one. Yeah, the golden years. Men from the Forbes 400 have much younger wives when remarrying than the general U.S. population. So it kind of just like spoiler right oh, there. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh OK, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, they do have an average of a 22 year age gap when they remarry. But wealthy women do not. It's not like when super wealthy, high powered women get divorced and then remarry that they're marrying the 25-year-old stud muffin. Yeah, they're not marrying the pool boy. No. Chances are. But other research suggests that trophy wives are very much an exception to the sociological rule that opposites don't attract. Yeah. Like attracts like. Yeah, I thought this was so interesting that our perception of like a Harvey Weinstein with a Georgina Chapman, that let's just pretend that that is a stereotypical trophy wife marriage for a second. My apologies to the two people in question if they listen to the podcast. Um, but that that stereotype and that image is more the exception than the rule. Uh, and speaking to NPR, Notre Dame sociologist Elizabeth McClintock calls trophy wives a violation of the usual pattern that people select somebody who's a whole lot like themselves. And she questions earlier study findings saying that pretty women tend to marry rich dudes in general because they fail to account for her premarital money and status. Maybe... She had a whole bunch of money before she married this guy and she's just pretty or beautiful or has great hair or pretty nose or whatever because she has that money. And people who have a lot of money and high socioeconomic status can afford to invest in their appearance more. Yeah. I mean, even when it comes to like children, I mean, wealth and attractiveness tend to go hand in hand from birth thanks to just greater access to resources. And McClinic says that once you control for all of those kinds of factors, trophy wives virtually disappear. And when she was talking to Shankar Vedantam at NPR, she was like, you know what? This actually might be saying more about us that we're actively looking for it, that we are pinpointing a handful of couples so that we can create galleries of the quote unquote new trophy wives. We're making these trends, uh, quote, people notice it when it happens and they don't notice it when it doesn't happen. Yeah. And Eli Finkel, uh, who's a psychologist at Northwestern University, told New York Magazine that assuming that the importance of beauty and status is gendered may cause researchers to overlook men's attractiveness and women's socioeconomic resources. And he really praised McClintock. And this is in The Atlantic. And he said that Women aren't really out for men with more wealth than themselves, nor are men looking for women who outshine them in beauty. Rather, hearteningly, he says, people really are looking for compatibility and companionship. That is the rule. That is how life tends to go. The people who are like those Russian women that we cited earlier in the podcast who were taking classes to learn how to snag a rich man. Those are the exception. Yeah. And it's also a vast oversimplification to just boil it down to exchanging beauty for status because McClinic talks about how like this data on beauty and status gets really messy really fast when you start to account for things like women's beauty regimens. We 
are likelier to try to pay more attention to our appearance and make ourselves more beautiful versus men. Also things like the gender wage gap. We start out with a little bit of a power imbalance in the pocketbook to begin with. And then also, again, how status endows attractiveness. We are likelier to find people who are wealthier, who have more influence as being more attractive. But you know what that made me think of, especially when you mentioned women's beauty regimens and, you know, focus on appearance and stuff like that. We haven't talked about, and a lot of the data out there doesn't talk about, the concept of a trophy spouse or partner among gay men or lesbian women um, and what the trade-off there would be. Is is a really handsome, shiny man uh, going to look for an equally handsome, shiny man if they're both wealthy? You know, what? how does that apply to lesbians? Like, how do we extrapolate that data? Yeah, it's a very heteronormative trope. And reading this did remind me, Caroline, of Behind the Candelabra, the HBO film, which I highly recommend. It's incredibly entertaining. Um, it's sort of a biopic on Liberace, played by Michael Douglas, and this much younger man, played by Matt Damon, who he takes under his wing. And I mean, obviously, this is a while back. So they're, you know, having to sort of have a more of a closeted um, gay relationship. But it's very much like sort of a trophy, trophy boy in that sense. Yeah, I mean, the reality of the quote unquote trophy wife and the stereotype of the trophy wife, they're very specific things. And I mean, I just I would be interested to learn about, though, the concept of the trophy spouse partner or just, you know, hookup partner um, in in gay male culture or lesbian culture. One thing, though, pop culturally, too, that also just popped into my head is how the trophy wife stereotype is played with also on Modern Family with Sofia Vergara's character, Mm -hmm. where she always obviously intentionally upturns our assumption that she's just with Jay for his money. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over again, it's reinforced that, no, they really do have this bond and she really does love him and he really does love her and Manny and their new son. And they make it kind of a sweet thing. And that's so rare to see of like a humanized, quote unquote, trophy wife. Yeah. But that leads us, though, to the newest trophy wife question that people are asking of whether trophy husbands are the new trophy wives. Yeah, people, this is kind of like stop trying to make fetch happen. Yes. Uh, people are really trying and have really been trying to make trophy husband a thing, but nobody can really agree on what, what makes a trophy husband. Do you define a trophy husband in light of what a trophy wife stereotype is so that he's handsome and, and maybe a little dumb and, you know, a status symbol yeah, for the he's, woman? He's just something you hang on the wall next to your sparkly necklaces, you know, or is a trophy husband being defined in light of what a woman might want? So he, he cooks and does all the chores while you go off to your high power job and make all the money. So he, his trophy husband in that sense is a wife, a housewife. Yeah. Well, let's back up for a moment because in terms of trying to make trophy husband happen, in fact, Caroline, in 1989, when Fortune magazine editor Julie Connolly 
was busy coining trophy wives. She was like, you know what? Let's let's investigate trophy husbands too. And it was a total flop. She told William Sapphire at the New York Times that there's a bimbo quality to trophy and that doesn't translate into the male image. She says a trophy husband would be a CEO or a really powerful guy, not some stud muffin. Yeah, she writes that with the with the description of a woman as being a trophy wife, you know, bimbonic is implied and the whole being accomplished on her own thing is sort of secondary. It's not even the main definition, but um, when you apply a trophy in whatever sense to a man, it's always complimentary. Yeah. So in Fortune magazine has really been hitting this hard for a while. They they really seem to be the champions of trying to make fetch slash trophy husband <laughs> happen. Because in 2002, Fortune magazine is like, OK, you know what? Let's let's try this trophy husband thing again. So they write this huge feature piece about these really powerful women in the corporate world who have what they call trophy husbands. And the article states, call him what you will, house husband, stay-at-home dad, domestic engineer, but credit him with setting aside his own career by dropping out, retiring early, or going part-time so that his wife's career might flourish and their family might thrive. Behind a great woman at work, there's often a great man at home. He is the new trophy husband. But is this really socially accepted? I mean... It, it, we're still working on it. The article points out that, like, hey, five years ago, I couldn't get anybody to talk to me about this. And now people are coming out of the woodwork being like, yeah, that's kind of the secret. If you're a high-powered woman in a high-powered job... And you have kids. You've got somebody at home, you know, whether it's a partner or a spouse who's taking care of stuff. But, but the big difference, though, with Trophy Husband... He's usually not the second or the third or the fourth spouse. He's the guy who's always been there. Just at some point in the relationship, they were like, you know what? We have all of these things, all of these plates that we're spinning, one of which is kids. And someone's got to take care of the kids. And guess what? I'm the lady and I happen to be making buku bucks. Mm -hmm. So it makes more sense for you to stay home. Which just sounds like a really wise, equitable set up. Yeah, it just sounds like it's an evolved social and family structure, not that it's like, oh, somebody need we need to give him a trophy for being a trophy husband. Yeah, I mean, trophy husbands in this sense, at least, are really just like good dudes who aren't scared of having female breadwinners. Exactly. But there was one observation, too, in that feature piece that made me cringe and says so much about how much gendered ideology is packed into the stereotype because they say these women are not who you think they are. Yes, they're tough and ambitious and competitive, but they're not ball busters and their husbands aren't wimps that they even have to make that point. Caroline it is uh, it says a lot. It says a lot. It says a lot about where we are, which is not there yet. <laughs> Wherever there is, we haven't gotten there yet. Well, keep in mind, though, this was just in 2002. Yeah. Because <laughs> old fortune came a knocking again <laughs> this year in 2015. They were like, hey, you know what? <laughs> Forget what we said earlier. We got a new idea about what trophy husbands really are. And it's 
has a lot to do with George Clooney. Right. They say that trophy husbands are important men in their own right. So very like good for you attitude uh, who don't mind being eclipsed on occasion. He's a multidimensional status symbol in a high powered relationship between equals. So we're lifting him onto our sho- onto our shoulders and carrying him out into the street for a ticker tape parade. Well, notable, too, that they're equals. Yeah. But again, going back to Gretchen Sisson's point, if they're equals, then why do we need to make one or the other this object? Yeah. And I mean, it also goes back to Elizabeth McClintock's research that like attracts like and it is normal. We just don't realize that it is normal that two super rich people would get together, two super smart or super funny or super attractive people would end up together. But when two like hottie McHottersons are walking down the street together, you're just like, yeah, whatever. That's two hot people. You don't assume anything about them just because they're two hot people. I mean, you might assume a couple things. But anyway, when you do see that older man and the younger, beautiful woman, that's when you start to put all of these assumptions together that they are not equals. And you just start to assume that the woman is some bimbo who's played her cards right and landed herself a rich husband. Well, I think in general, and this also cuts across orientations, we have mistrust for large age gaps in romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. There's usually that that assumption that mm, something is amiss. So somebody's lying or has issues. Um, But I also thought it was kind of funny that in that most recent uh, Fortune magazine trophy husband feature that the examples offered were mostly actors. So you Mm -hmm. have George Clooney, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is married to a a woman in the tech industry, and Eddie Redmayne, who recently won an Oscar for his portrayal of Stephen Hawking in The Theory of Everything, who is married to a super successful career woman as well. So, I mean, and the thing is, some of these trophy husband pieces want to, like, celebrate it as a sign of, like, feminist victory and equality, but it's not at all. That's totally misinterpreting and mangling feminism. And and again, the question of why does one one party have to be objectified? Why can't they just be... Oh, they're a power couple. They're equals. They have their own things going on. Yeah. Cool. Right. You worked it out. You found a person. Yeah. It's, it is way more of like a, like a person to person issue than a general society commentary on feminism. It's more like, yes, excellent. Good for you. You found someone who you can fit together with like a puzzle piece and your lives will be hopefully harmonious. Congratulations. More so than like, ha ha, victory. House husbands for everyone. Yes. House husbands have effectively closed the gender wage gap. I mean, in that case, I would give them a trophy. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, Well, do we want to hear from listeners now? For sure. What kind of questions do we have? Does anyone out there consider themselves to be in a trophy type dynamic or have you been accused of it? And what do you think, though, about the idea of perhaps in a more concerted kind of way attempting to trade looks for status? Because I know some women personally who see no problem with that whatsoever and try to cast it in a feminist light as well. And other people, obviously, who think exactly the opposite, that it's the worst possible thing that a woman in particular could do. 
Let us know all of your thoughts. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And you can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I have a letter here from Haley about our Art History Week on the podcast. She says, hey, ladies, you would not believe how excited I was when I saw that you guys were doing a podcast on the female nude. I'm an anthropology and archaeology student with a minor in gender and women's studies and literally just finished writing a paper all about the Herculaneum women. Herculaneum women are a style of sculpture which originated in Greece but were adopted by Roman elite women and were used for about 600 years. In complete contrast to what you guys were talking about, this style shows women in the same pose but with a lot of clothing, three layers to be exact. As I found in my paper, the repetition of this style reflects the limited roles which Roman women had in society while also expressing their wealthy status. A funny note, though, is that despite all of their layers, you can still see the outline of their bodies, kind of defeating the purpose of all that fabric. And she attached some pictures, and I have to agree with her that, yeah, it it doesn't... There's a lot of layers being draped and everything, but it definitely looks pretty gauzy. Like, you can definitely still see a belly button, and I think there's a nip over there. A nip? A nip. Um, but yeah, oh, love it. I love hearing from our archaeology and art-minded people out there. Thank you, Haley. Well, I have a letter also from Jenny about Art History Week, and she said, So much lovely information. I was lucky enough to travel to Italy for the summer I turned 18 as part of my voice training at university. Some of our fellow travelers were artists, and their awe and joy at David and La Pieta and many other sculptures encouraged me to learn more about them. The experience of traveling to Europe at that age gave me great confidence in what I can do as a single woman. I later joined the Peace Corps and was assigned to San Juan de la Mey, Nicaragua. There's a sandstone quarry nearby and 9 to 10 studios in town. It's still a machismo culture, and men were the main artists and create the great concepts, but whole families do the rough initial chisel work. It was a great way for me to connect with them and to be able to say that I've seen David, and they were amazed that he's 14 feet tall. Every day since then, I give thanks that I was born in a time and place where I've had the opportunity to pursue my dreams with such fewer limits than American women before me, or than some women in other cultures today have. Thanks again for your great podcast that keep me thinking. Well, thank you, Jenny, for your letter. And thanks to everybody who's written to us. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with more information on Trophy Wives so you can follow along, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you.